0: Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of politics. on am Ryan Willis, your host. Yes, 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 yes. We are back, and we found the problem. We think we found half of the problem was ours. Half of the problem was on the other side of the connection, but worked until late to do it, and then I did the show at 11-something at night to make sure that we had our repertoire together. Folks, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Bridge MCP. Yes, I was up late I had to issue some some particular commands to the display card, which had the accelerator turned off, and that is why sometimes you saw the jiggly stuff. Now, when you saw the loss of connection, that wasn't the card; that was the actual redistribution of the soft of the. Uh, we have a company that redistributes this to all the different different networks and that they were having problems themselves so we had two birds to hit and we didn't know which one it was it turns out it was both of them so bridge mcp welcome aboard bruce pollard welcome aboard e2247 hi bridge have a great visit and let's see, AVQ is with us again with all the nomenclature. Roberto, did you figure out the problem with your live stream? I did. I'm going to repeat yesterday's news along with today's. Oh, you're going to kill me. You're going to kill me, but I love you. California recall. CBS News projects no vote. No vote uh, wins recall election. 67.5 says no recall. 32.5 say recall. Don't be Happy about this? There are two and a half million Trumpsters in California. That's kind of nuts. California is supposed to be a true blue state, but this is a third of their population who have fallen to the cult of personality. No, they're just Republicans, and that's what they do. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it is amazing that the, the, the kind of calculus that works behind that. Uh, he said, also, he says, "No time for idiots." Howard Stern slams Joe Rogan for taking harsh dewarmer warmer over COVID nineteen vaccine. When polio was going around and vaccine was developed, the US went to patriotism route, take the vaccine, make your country stronger. There was no pushback. It is amazing. Look, I am I I'm not qualified enough to talk about the dewormer because I do know that it does have a few um, human needs. I just know it's not from every research that's done so far. It's not for COVID. And what these guys are doing is dangerous. What Mickey Minaj is doing is dangerous. All these people are a danger to your health. Governor Ron DeSantis let a man falsely claim the COVID-19 vaccine changes your RNA during an anti-vaccine mandate press conference in Florida. And he stood there like a little sissy saying absolutely nothing. You know why? Because he wants to give... Plausible deniability. How bad do Republicans have to be? Curious if anyone remembers that time in 2008 when John McCain had a town hall and a woman called Obama an Arab. And John McCain corrected her immediately. We've lost the sense of the loyal opposition. Exactly. We have lost the loyal opposition. The people who would come and say, no, this is how things really are. Are Continuing with Michael Rodnin, Met Gala, multiple arrests made as large crowds of BIM protesters gather outside fashion event. Nonviolent protest is being criminalized when it's in locations inconvenient for those who will power BLM, Black Lives Matter, Met Gala. Fact check, false claim that income tax was intended to be temporary in 1913. Right, libertarians have been lying about taxes over a century. Taxes upheld the general welfare, see Article 1, Section 8, and were made permanent by the Amendment 16, Short version, paying taxes is patriotic, and those with the money have to pay the most because they also use the most resources. I mean, people think that, okay, because they have a lot of money they're doing, then people who don't have a lot of money a favor. As I explain in my book, How to Make America Utopia, the amount of money that this economic system awards you is not equivalent to your actual worth to the society. In other words, a stockbroker makes billions of dollars. Some of them make millions of dollars. And the truth of the matter is their, their effectiveness for society, what they contribute to society, doesn't come close to what a doctor does, doesn't come close to what a lawyer does, doesn't come close to what an engineer does, doesn't us close to what a garbage man does. But they make more money, so they pay more taxes. Is it because then that uh, somehow they're doing us a favor? Absolutely not. And folks, that is the that is what I talk about in a particular chapter in here that talk about worth, worth, worth. We cannot associate our worth with our income. A lot of people like to associate worth with income and wealth. Do not do it. Do not associate worth and income. Because teachers, are, to me, is one of the most benevolent professions, the most important profession bar none. Teachers, that is. Why? Because they are the ones that move societal knowledge forward. They are the ones that move intelligence forward. Yet they are the ones that are least paid in our whole economy of professionals. So your worth, your worth is not determined by your income or your wealth. We have been taught to think that way, but we should not. We should absolutely not think that way. I. That's why I love my garbage men. We go out there, you know, the other day I had a whole lot of, plants out there that I needed to get rid of, a whole bunch because the wind came out and I had some overgrown over the bayou and my friend came over here and we cut down a ton of trees and I had a whole big stack of things and they only took a few and then I went out there to the garbage guy and said, come on, man, I, I'm out there doing all kind of politics for all of us to make sure that all of us get better, da 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 You know, I'm making my case. He said, well, we can't really do that. And then after he realized that I was one of the for real folks in the neighborhood, he said, hey, man, I tell you what, keep it right here. I will be back next. I'll, I will be the driver back when the truck has more room. You know, these trucks have a limit. And he said, When I come back, I'm going to take it all up for you, okay? I'll make sure the truck have enough space to take it all up. I said, Okay, hermano, muchas gracias. And then I go inside. And when they came out there, when they came to bring up, I mean, there was a ton of stuff to move. When they came out there, I went out there and I was throwing this in the, in, into the back of the truck with them, all of us throwing all this stuff in the back of the truck, you know? <laughs> and one of the times I lift up the stuff to pl- throw in the back of the truck, I'm bam, it fell on the ground because I didn't have enough energy to lift it up. These guys are small and strong. Anyway, so they're they're laughing at me. So I told them, hey, 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 hold on. I ran inside and I went and got a whole bunch of Cokes and chips and all of that. And I said, hey man, thank you very much and gave them all this stuff. And then I slapped $25 into the, uh, to the guy and said, hey, I can't give you any more than that. You know, it's a I'm not a software guy anymore, but you know what? Uh, Thank you very much for helping it. Please divide it equally among you guys and go buy yourselves a coffee or something. All right, let me tell you something, guys. This is important. Your your job does not determine your worth. Your education does not determine your worth. Your income, uh, your humanity, and what you do with it to the maximal of what you are doing, what you like to do, that is your worth, and I've learned that. I'm gonna be. I've got to be honest with you. I had to learn that. I had to internalize that, but I learned it. The greatest killer in New Orleans wasn't hurricane. Uh, it was the heat. I heard you. The combination of global warming and the crumbling infrastructure. Two articles, same response. California Wildflowers close Sequoia National Park. I hope you don't burn those big, masterful trees that are thousands of years old. Not a single G20 country is in line with the Paris Accord. Of course, they're capitalists. All like answered that already, Bridge. BD Pollard, welcome aboard. Bridge Breeze. As so it was shaky from no acceleration. Yes, yes, yes. The the part where you had that. But when you lost connection, it was the other thing. All right, let's see, E2247, he's crazy, you know he's crazy, Pelosi said to the, to Mil- yeah, I heard that one, I, I heard that one, Michael says, I haven't checked my notifications for the last week and a half, missed yesterday's show, what happened afterwards is I did the show at 11 something at night, and uh, it, it sent out a notification, it also sent out emails and all of that, which I forgot to turn off the automation, so some people got mad at me that they got two emails for the day, I am so sorry, forgive me, all right, Let's see. What else have we got here? What else? Let's see. Let's see. Michael Rodney, No, that's not to me. Uh, let's see. Inexcusable that the Woodward, Costa, Happel, Millie did not reveal these facts to the Senate impeachment trial process. Inexcusable that Senate in trial refused to. They should. They had enough to impeach the guy. You know, and that would have changed the discussion honestly. If if Millie had come out and said that during the revelation, they would have. T- the way the right wing machine works is they would have made it now uh, 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 an impeachment on Millie instead of on, not impeachment, can't impeach Millie. a uh, fire. I mean it would have been it would have been missed. Impeachment process was before many books, but yes, agree. I hear you. The ducks that quack, then they doesn't Trumpolini pay taxes personal. We know he doesn't. Uh the duck that quacks, I paid almost five times the seven fifty. I understand he paid, says the duck that quacks. Of course, all of us pay more taxes than Donald Trump. Okay, AVQ says the duck that quacks, Trump paid plenty of taxes in other nations, but Trump's being evading tax in the U.S. for decades Alright, Paul Fleming says ATL checking in And of course, Masticator is back Egberto loves teachers Because they are all indoctrination Our kids with Marxist BS That's not true But I know you you wanted me to read it So I read it for you, my brother Peggy Lopez Hi all, just home from a busy morning Peggy, I saw you on last night When I came on at 11-something Uh Peggy, thank you for being there I know you probably just stepped in And said, hell, I'm going to bed Ah, uh, ver quien más está aquí. I want to bankrupt him personally here, just like all his LLCs. I know what you mean. Rose Williams says, "Hi everyone. She's back." Everyone tells Rose, "Hello." Hey, look. I am going to start calling uh I'm going to start calling Biden, and I know a lot of you are going to take exception, especially my most progressive brethren is going to take exception, but I'm going to start calling him a a a uh a progressive and neoliberal clothing because I am starting to hear some key words that are getting to me. But I want to play something that uh, Biden said today. I I just I was late coming to get all the show together because I wanted to stitch a lot of what he said. It was a very long speech and I needed to cut it down. I wanted to stitch it. And here is what he had to say. So check this out. And then vamos a tomarlo en el otro lado. We'll then take it on the other side, let me go ahead and make sure I'm going to play the right thing. Lately, I've been playing the wrong thing. There we go.
1: I'm not out to punish anyone. I'm a capitalist. If you can make a million or a billion dollars, that's great. God bless you. All I'm asking is you pay your fair share. The top 1%, for example, evade an estimated $160 billion in taxes that they owe each year. Not new taxes, taxes that they owe. 55 the most profitable corporations in America paid zero in federal income taxes, what amounted to $40 billion in profit. My economic plan will change that. Republican friends in Congress don't want to change the law. My Republican friends are attacking my plan, saying it's big spending. Let me remind you, these are the same folks who just four years ago passed the Trump tax cut, totaling almost $2 trillion in tax cuts a giant giveaway to the largest corporations in the top 1%. And listen to this, almost none of that $2 trillion tax cut was paid for. It just ballooned the federal deficit. In fact, the unpaid unpaid bills uh, racked up by the, uh, the last administration are projected to increase the national debt by more than $8 trillion of it. What I'm proposing is totally different from that approach for three reasons. First, my plan is paid for. Because our investments are paid for by making sure that corporations, wealthy Americans, pay their fair share. Second, we're not going to raise taxes on anyone making under $400,000. That's a lot of money. The middle class are going to get some tax cuts, some breaks. My plan benefits ordinary Americans, not those at the top who don't need the help. It's a historic middle class tax cut. Taxes for over 50 million families. My Republican friends are making a different choice, though. I'd rather protect the tax breaks of those at the very top than give tax breaks to working families. It's that simple. But let me ask you this. <clears throat> Where is it written that all the tax breaks in the American tax code go to corporations and the very top? I think it's enough. I'm tired of it. For me, it's pretty simple. It's about time working people got the tax breaks in this country. That's what my plan does. This is from 15... Nobel laureates in economics, quote, because this agenda, the one I'm talking about, mine, because this agenda invests in long term economic capacity and will enhance the ability of more Americans to participate productively in the economy. It will ease long term inflationary pressures. It will ease it. Let me highlight just a few provisions of my plan. My plan lowers the cost of daycare and child care and elder care for families. And the added benefit of allowing millions of people, mostly women, who are not able to go back to work because of very young family members or elderly people they're taking care of, allow them to go back to work. It's estimated in the millions can't go back. It lowers care premiums for millions of families. It lowers prescription drug costs by giving Medicare the power to negotiate lower drug prices. And it strengthens Medicare by adding dental, vision, and hearing coverage if you're on Medicare. It also extends the tax cut for families with kids that we passed in the American Rescue Plan in March. All of this will mean thousands of dollars in savings for the average American family on some of the toughest and most important bills they have to pay every month. My Republican friends talk a lot about inflation. But if you want to talk about actually lowering the cost of living for people in this country, my plan does just that. By strengthening the capacity of our economy, we'll also reduce inflationary pressures over the long run. Here's something else my plan does. It confronts the crisis of extreme weather events that we're seeing all around us and around the world, but just here in America. We see it everywhere. We can't wait to act. Extreme weather just last year cost the American public $99 billion in damage. And unfortunately, we're likely to break that record this year. Now we have to act, and we have to act fast. And my plan does that. Let me end with this. This pandemic has been god-awful for so many reasons but it does present us with an opportunity to build an economy that gives working people a fair shot this time. We can restore some sanity and fairness to our tax code. We can make the investments that we know are long overdue in this nation. That's exactly what my bipartisan infrastructure plan does. Investments in roads, bridges, highways, clean water in every home and every school, universal broadband quality, affordable places for families to live. And we can invest in our people, giving our families a little help with their toughest expenses, like daycare, child care, elder care, prescription drugs, health care, preparing our young people to compete against any country in the world with, preschool and community college. This is an opportunity to be the nation we know we can be, a nation where all of us, all of us, not just those at the top are getting to share the benefits of a growing economy in the years ahead. Let's not squander this moment trying to preserve an economy that hasn't worked too well for Americans for a long time. Let's not look backward, just trying to rebuild what we had. Let's look forward together as one American, not to build back, but to build back better.
0: All right, I'm going to explain neoliberal in a little bit, uh, uh, Miss Lopez. But uh, for those of you that are on YouTube, please go ahead and click that thumbs up. I need you to help us get the channel uh, some, some likes. I understand that there, there are some new things with the algorithms with the like. So please, if you're on right now, please go ahead and click that uh, thumbs up button right now if you are on uh, Facebook. Please go ahead and like the video, uh, the specific video on our page, politics, or rather, facebook.com/slash/politicsunright. Please go ahead and like that video. People are watching it all over. They don't only really watch it on our page where they watch it on other places where it's shared so please go ahead and do it on our page facebook.com/ politics and right please go ahead and click the like button again if you are on face if you are on YouTube please give us a thumbs up on the video we need that so kindly Thank you appreciate it a neoliberal is somebody who absolutely believes in what people like to call free market capitalism By the way, capitalism isn't really free market at all. You know, I've explained all of that in my book, uh, How to Make America Utopia. It is a fallacy. They have to make you believe that the market is free so that you can go for all the shenanigans that, that occurs under capitalism. It's not true. It's a big lie. And the reason it's a big lie, we can quantify that it's a big lie. Capitalism is a lying engine. That, just remember that. That is a fact you have to have. Uh, on you have to be be invited in, etc., etc., etc. But that's for another day. And also, it believes in things. Uh, uh, it's a person also who believe in strong deregulation. They believe in free. Uh, this again, this this thing called free market economics, and all of that. It's a, it, It's just a fraud. So whenever we talk somebody about a neoliberal, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about that person that believe in those types of policies. Okay policies that, that are a distinct failure. Again, folks, if you're just joining us on YouTube, please click that th- thumbs up button. We really need that to get your support. All right, let's continue with – before I, before I co- uh, continue with anything else, let's see if I have anything that I need to answer right away. Uh, Eric Hayes says this is one reason why there is uh, a crowd on the hospital system As they are firing people that put their lives on the line daily for sick people This policy to get rid of people is so wrong Especially in an essential area of need Do you hear of the mandates going to the White House or other upper areas? Uh, You know, I don't know uh, You know, Eric Sometimes Look, it's difficult sometimes, my dear friend. I love you, okay? But it's difficult. It's difficult that you make yourself so less intelligent from the news that you get. Let's go ahead and, and interpret that statement. And the reason I'm spending time to interpret that statement is that statement can kill. And it goes as follows. One, the reason why hospitals want their employees vaccinated is that they are coming in touch with a lot of other people, vaccinated and unvaccinated alike. And the last thing we need in the hospital is for for the doctors retransmitting this virus that they may get on the outside of the hospital to other people in the hospital. So therefore, if you want to work in a hospital environment, simply get a vaccine or don't work in a hospital environment. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't want to go to a hospital with unvaccinated nurses, with unvaccinated uh, uh, custodians, etc. Because I may be going to a hospital where I will get infected. That's numero uno. And who should be liable for that? The hospital. Numero dos it is a plum lie to believe that because 3 or 4 or 10% of healthcare workers are not vaccinated that somehow that is what's creating the lack of care that is a quantifiable lie if you want the truth Look into the real numbers. It's a quantifiable lie. The reason why the hospitals are busting by the seams, the reason why we are having to now ration care is because of the unvaccinated people coming in to be on ventilators and taking up space that mostly vaccinated people don't. What else are they doing? They are causing people with cancer to have their treatments delayed. They are causing people with diabetes to have their treatments delayed. They are simply a, a stress on the healthcare system and it has nothing to do with hospitals firing people. That is on the margins. The reality is simple. Stop trying to find answers where you from the right wing because they lead you over a Cliff, they are criminally insane I am sorry The right-wing machine that knows better The right-wing machine that knows better Where fo- Even Fox News requires all its people to be vaccinated Do they advertise that when you watch Fox News? Ayo, all these people require you to be vaccinated Do they tell you that? They don't, they, they don't tell you that but it's their requirement and we have the document that shows it not only that they force you to work at home so please they are into this because they know there is a dumb sect within their realm that will buy up anything that they say and this has nothing this this is just a stati- not a statistic this is just a fact But it drives me crazy that such misinformation is out there. Like Mickey Minaj making a silly statement on Twitter that's going to get people killed. Melanie Keelan, welcome aboard. I don't get the notification this evening. I'm so sorry, but I don't know why I don't have control over that. Want to become famous by fault? I don't do that. Uh, Let's see what else we have here. Uh, Government mandates uh, in place of fed employees and those with work. Michael Rudin says... Twitch spammers making their rounds again. I support Biden. or liberals, communists, Marxists, socialists? All three are very different, but you use them interchangeably. I don't use them interchangeably at all. And by the way, I love the way that Biden sounded. Biden sounded like what would be a, 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 a prototypical democratic socialist in the way he expressed himself. And I love the way he ends. Why don't we leave that economy of the past that has not served us well? Anybody that's watching right now, I ask you so kindly to click on that thumbs up button. Under, uh YouTube or that like button on our Facebook page. We need you to do that to keep the algorithm going. It's difficult to get your opinion. Uh, uh, it, it is difficult to get your own opinion and are they not protected with equipment? No. Equipment is fallible. Equipment is fallible. It, a, an in, uh, a vaccine protects you Completely, there was a time we had no vaccine The equipment did very well But still, a whole lot of people A lot of people in medical industry Died Why did they die? Because you just have to make a simple mistake We are human And we make mistakes You take a glove off And you accidentally rub your nose If you have a vaccine You take the stuff off And you accidentally rub your nose The most that you get is You may get infected You may get sick a little bit But you won't die It is simple you aren't going to get sick, you are vaccinated, right? No, if you get vaccinated, you can still get sick. And that is with any vaccine. The idea is you are less likely to get sick, you are less likely to die by 98%. If somebody tells me I have a 98% chance of living, there are certain surgeries that you have don't give you a 98% chance of living after the surgery. Come on, guys. Rose Williams says, Eric, honestly, what else should a hospital administration do? It's common sense. Yes, it is common sense. It is very common sense. Bruce says, how would you classify investment brokers or 401k brokers different from stock brokers who make money investing middle class dollars? Nope. A 401k person who takes care of you and makes a salary, I have, I have no problem with it. If he's making a commission off of what he's doing for you, I have a big problem with it because they have a tendency to direct your dollars into investments where they can maximize their own income. So, in other words, they may be working for you, but they are also working to, they may be taking on short term, uh, putting you into something that makes them short term gain, but in the long term doesn't give you a lot of gain. So I mean, there's a whole lot of things like that to uh, to pick up. But stock brokers in general, none of those people earn the money commensurate with what they get based on what they do. In fact, many a times, if you if you went to a class for one day, if you went to a class for one day, you could be just as good as the average investment bank in, uh, in, uh, broker or, or person who sells stocks. If you went to school for probably a month, uh, based on what your your profile is you could probably be better than 90% of those guys that are out there. Remember, all of us that are in school and I don't mean this to be I really don't mean this to be condescending. But the, the people that went into the sciences are uh, if they decided to go into the business portion of how stocks work. I'm not talking about uh, I'm not talking about the portion that is not scientific, but in the scientific portion of how stocks work, they would do very 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 well. But anyhow, folks, let me go ahead and play the Mike Levitin video for today. Welcome to another edition of Politics and I'm Humberto Willis, your host. We have a great May guest be. today. I haven't seen him, I think, since uh, yes. the Democracy Convention right. in Madison, Wisconsin. Anyhow, today we are honored to have Michael Levitin. He's a journalist and co-founder, editor of the Occupied Wall Street Journal. He started okay, a so report a bit, as a reporter ahead. covering the Cochabamba Water, uh, water War on, in 2000 for the English language newspaper wow. uh, Bolivian Times. He earned his master's degree from the Columbia Graduate School of Journalism and later worked as a freelance correspondent in Barcelona wow, and Berlin so covering politics, covers. culture, and climate change. He's, he's writing, is appeared at The Atlantic. Guardian, Financial Times, so look, everywhere, we have a true scholar with us today who formed a very important part of the Occupy Wall Street movement, Michael Leviton, welcome to Politics on Right, how are you doing today? Egberto, pleasure to be here, man. Very look, good. look, man, uh, you've, you've, you've started from the start of the movement, as you explained in your book, I mean... Uh, when they got to Sagati Park, you were there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the genesis of the Occupy movement?
2: All right, for everyone who's been meticulously following it this week, given that we're on the 10 year anniversary, <clears throat> I presume not everyone has been uh, thinking about it. I sure have for, uh, for many years now. It was September 17th, 10 years ago this week, coming this Friday. Um, I wasn't there at the very start of the movement. I came the week after it began, the second Saturday of the movement, which in fact was the Saturday when Occupy blew up, when the famous pepper spray cop nailed a handful, a couple of uh, white women uh, in the face with bright, pe- bright pepper spray and they fell down to the ground and uh, shrieking and it caused a sensation. Uh, I think the fact that they were couple of young white women protesting peacefully. Somehow uh, the nation saw this and uh, the video went viral, Occupy Wall Street took off. And really the movement uh, was born from that moment, the second Saturday of the movement. And uh, I moved into the park like so many people. I was supposed to take a flight the next day, two days later, to go back to Berlin actually, which you introduced me uh, as uh, having history there. I wasn't uh, intending to stay in New York, but this uh, the showing up there, the moment that I saw uh, and the intensity that I sort of could immediately perceive of, of all of these young people getting together in a way I'd never seen protesters um, unite and sort of organize in a very... Um, in, in a much more serious way, frankly, than I'd ever seen activism in this country um, appear before. And I knew something quite different was happening. And I helped start this newspaper uh, that, you know, and, and all, everything else followed from there, the movement. Was Tell folks where,
0: where they can find that, 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 that it's not a blog. It's actually a full blown paper.
2: Oh, the paper's long gone. That was a, it was a, a paper of the moment. The no, no, not the, I,
0: the, I'm talking about your website.
2: Oh, my website, michaelleviton.com. Uh, my book. Generation Occupy just appeared yesterday uh, through Counterpoint Press, and um, this story really, you know, I think a lot of people now with the ten-year anniversary are re reanalyzing or trying to remember what Occupy got wrong, why it why it disappeared so quickly, uh, what was its message, what really has obsessed me and kind of and and kept me in the game all these years, um, because I did continue to edit and write and follow the trends of the movements through occupy.com that was a right. different site that was different from the occupied wall street journal which once it ran out of money we stopped printing copies we ran about a half a million copies of that newspaper over six months over five or six editions but um this story that i've told now in the book is really uh, looking at the impact i'm so i'm much more interested not in what occupy got wrong as a kind of a Chaotic, colorful, disorganized, structureless, leaderless movement. You can give it all of those qualifiers and say that it, you know, it could have done better, it could have done this. Yeah, it faded from view, and we know for many reasons it did. But what I really have been interested in and studying and is the many ripples and the waves that it set off politically in activism, in our economy, and in labor, in workers. Recon- their rights and everything we've seen. I'd be glad to talk in any specifics that you want to, but that's really what I've been trying to get at is what has this decade brought us that may not have emerged in this way? Would we have a $3.5 trillion budget bill that essentially is looking to balance out the scales and, and, and diminish inequality in profound ways and put climate, clean energy infrastructure with hundreds of billions of dollars? I mean, would we have the current moment we're in, um, not that we'd succeeded yet, not that we passed any significant legislation, but would we be here without Occupy? Would Bernie Sanders have been Bernie? Would we have had AOC? Would many things, would the fight for 15 have occurred? Um, and, and so many things that have sprung from it. So that's what this book is addressing.
0: I think what you just said is so important. Let's not concentrate on the things that we did or got wrong. Let's concentrate on the things that we actually got right. Because in the aggregate, Occupy Wall Street changed this country. It changed the progressive movement. It gave it gave validity to so much. And, you know, uh, th- th- some of the issues that people talk about is the movement was so white, right? It didn't represent America. But what was so interesting about the movement is that, Those same white kids that got engaged are the kids that would have been elsewhere, not thinking of this sort of thing that Occupy represents. So you have a part where uh, you talk about Occupy activism. I'm going out of scope here um, with your book, but Occupy activism that made a lot of people who otherwise would not have been activists, activists for the good of us all. Why don't you explain it in that context?
2: Second here, doors opening in a house filled with other people. Um, <laughs> the the occupy activism, the, the whole notion of activism. You know, I, in the Atlantic article I just wrote and published yes. this week, it leads with the activism idea. In my book, I, it comes later because I need to get these bigger economic and right. political ideas out. But I think fundamentally, I mean, there's simply. Um, <laughs> we don't have this previous decade that we've just witnessed in a sense without occupy my case is that occupy remade and reinvented activism for a whole generation that it um it made protesting cool again um if you think of you know like the 60s and the 70s you know, protesting went out. It wasn't cool. People became, it was older white liberals. It was people out holding signs and and trying to get signatures at little, you know, mini miniature rallies, or it was the anti-globalization protests and people sort of trying to spur this larger workers movement and get young people energized. And it really was beginning. But then as we remember, the Iraq war came along and sort of pulled the rug out. It it was a big protest movement and people really tried to stop it, but they weren't, alas, effective. And we went to war. And when we saw what happened in the last couple of decades of those uh, imperial, you know, adventures overseas, um, catastrophic failures. So protests weren't able to stop that. What Occupy did, it's like people rediscovered their courage in a profound way And they went right to the core of the issue. They protested an issue you're not supposed to protest. They said capitalism and the system overall is the problem. They named the systemic crisis of inequality and the corporate corruption of our politics in these issues that really, frankly, since the New Deal, since the massive protests of the 30s that forced FDR to create the New Deal, Americans weren't out in the streets protesting capitalism and the eco- the, the moral bankruptcy of our economic system. Um, so what Occupy did is it spurred and it it named it pointed a finger at the one percent, which then became this sort of translatable one percent. The climate movement adopted that message. Occupiers, as you say, moved in the young white, largely white, you know, liberal from from whatever college educated class of occupiers they transitioned and helped lead the client, helped turn into uh, the climate movement, which again, looked at the 1%. It's the 1% fossil fuel industry and the lobbyists and the CEOs who are corrupting Washington politics and obstructing uh, change to to help save our planet. Um, And as you said, with the whiteness, I mean, a lot of occupiers with the conversations I had with people they made a correction in the post occupy era. They joined Black Lives Matter. They, yes. they saw where this racial analysis, racial justice was missing. And I think you and I talked about that yes. several years ago as I was interviewing people for the book. And you are all, all full credit disclosure, Egberto, You you have lines in the book. And I'm glad you got your piece in there because it was a really important point that it was missing the racial justice analysis. It was a really economic justice, but really wasn't talking to the 99% because people of color largely weren't participating and didn't see themselves um, in the movement, but it evolved and Black Lives Matter took so much that Occupy um, helped generate in terms of the use of technology, how to spread viral memes, how to do a decentralized Nationwide social movement that could catch fire instantly overnight with the same young generation. Um, of course, different issues and different priorities and different structure and leader. You know, they had actual spokespeople, actual people who helped steer the message at Black Lives Matter. They made many corrections, having studied from what Occupy got wrong. They consciously they consciously said, we're not going to be this structureless, leaderless thing. We're going to do it this way to get this concrete message across about police violence. But from Black Lives Matter, you see it all the way through Standing Rock, the fight to you know, defeat the the, the, the water, the, the, the pipeline that was going to go pipeline, through the yeah. Sioux yeah. Reservation, in North Dakota, massive protest using so many tactics of Occupy. And you see it in the wave of social movements, the Me Too movement. Would we have been able to take down the giant moguls, the white 1% who are, you know, abusing their power, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, you know, would we have been able really to to kind of shatter that that uh that wall had Occupy not sort of delegitimized the 1%? And it goes on and on to the women's march, the way it was decentralized and organized to rise up against Trump and initiate the resistance, um, indivisible, the really vocal organized protests yes you know Occupy just gave a fire and it sort of lit the nation this generation that's had enough um the climate generation the march for our lives the students in parkland who initiated march for our lives and millions of people marched to end gun violence and guess what the nra is seeing its last powerful days those guys since the parkland students sort of hit the hammer against that that you know shattered their impenetrable wall, NRA is not and is not likely to ever be the same um, so and in terms of its influence on our on our government. Um, so we see these impacts and when occupy people say occupy was a failure occupy Oh no left all you have to do is look at where we are today as a culture, our politics of resistance and protest and you see that yes, it initiated this this new era.
0: Let me tell you, I've been to several of the Occupies, from Occupies, D.C., Washington, D.C., uh, and San Diego, Houston, King, everywhere. And what you saw in that, in there is that people finally, I mean, uh, I, I don't want to make this a generational issue, but for a long time under Reaganomics, uh, the, the baby boom generation kind of got complacent. And they allowed him to do quite a bit. And that, gener- that occupied generation came about and said, no mas. I don't know if you remember Roberto Mano de Piedra Durang from Panama. That boxer, they used to call him the, the hands of stone. Uh, he, when he was fighting with uh, uh, Leonard, he said, no more, no more, no mas. And it was like, our, uh, like that, gener- the occupied generation said, it's going to be no more. And what Occupy, in my humble opinion, started, and I think you've articulated perfectly in your book. And folks, you gotta get that book. Generation Occupy Reawaken America. We can reawakening America democracy by Michael Levitin. And it's not that he has several quotes of that I have in that book. Why I'm telling you to buy it, folks. I'm telling you to get this book because this is not only a refresher of all that we did in the Occupy movement in the early 2010s, uh, this is actually a primer of what needs to continue. So check that book out, Generation Occupy, Reawakening America, Demo- American Democracy. I love the way that you split the book. I, I love the way that you did it. I think it's important because in your... T- and folks, look at the table of contents. Occupy generation, what it is. Occupy economy, Occupy politics, Occupy climate, Occupy labor, Occupy activism, technology, world, future, something that we all have to do if we are going to remake America, that America that that works for us all. And you encompassed all of that in the description of what occurred after 10 years and made it clear, no, Occupy was not a failure. Occupy was the seedling. Go ahead. Mm. Ah, was that a question? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that is, no, I wanted you to expand on that because you did such a great job in the book that, yeah. I mean, like, 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 you stated very at first. We're not going to talk about all the things Occupy got wrong. Sure. Damn it! Everybody yeah. gets every movement. There's there are wrong exactly. things in it.
2: So many people, you know, um, you know, the great activists who who died in this last year. As I was putting the book, CC. The final- kevin zeese kevin yes Zies. that's
0: my buddy yeah
2: yeah what wonderful man and an incredible um life force to the left movement the both he and time. his wife
0: yeah and margaret Mark- flowers margaret. of
2: course i'm sure many people who watch your show are familiar with them and their group popular resistance but something kevin told me i had the for the you know the the you call it luck or whatever i got to speak with him really in depth at, in an interview for this book along with other you know 50 other people i interviewed or so but what he said was really the um a, a lasting message and uh, some other people echoed him which is that social movements don't they rarely succeed overnight did, did the civil rights movement succeed no overnight? it's still,
0: it, we're still working on it
2: you work on it and this idea that really you don't even begin to see lasting changes from a movement, maybe for a decade, maybe for a generation, the way that Zeiss and and other people have talked about, you know, you don't get to see real changes from a movement, maybe for 30 years or 40, when you really see the structural, look at this budget bill. If we, if Congress and the Democrats and the, and, you know, if the progressive voice wins and the Bernie movement can put, you know, what Bernie started, he has been shepherding this bill through Congress, but it's like if they can do this and we can get that agenda pushed through and turned into law, that will look a lot more like an actual win for something like Occupy. Not that you can credit it, not that Occupy. I well,
0: I, I, I I beg to differ. I, I I do credit Occupy. I think I when I talk about, like I said, both of us, we were all over the country when uh, in the different from from when it transitioned to places and uh, like democracy for, Amer- or, uh, democracy for America, what was it in Madison, Democracy was- Convention, where all of us got together. And I mean, the, the thing about it is absent Occupy, the impetus to do the things that all these other organizations feel they can do now would not yeah. have been there.
2: And yes, and, and, and the people now who are driving, I think the big thing that if you want, you know, some people say, well, give me some concrete, give me what did Occupy really do? If you say Occupy changed things, okay, we got activism, we have a new generation of young people who are completely motivated and turned on to protest and to resistance. Real live, this is existential. This is an issue for me. I got to go out in the streets for climate, for gun safety, for defense of democracy when it came to Trump. But if you want to talk concrete, who's, who, who is essentially steering the Democratic Party in the last few years? It isn't the old Clinton Democrats. No, it's, it's not. It's not the Obama Democrats. It's the Elizabeth Warrens,
0: exactly. Bernie
2: Sanders, and the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, exactly. and her whole train of justice Democrat-aligned people who essentially are retilting, rebalancing, trying to rebalance the scales of inequality and give back to the people and get rid of corporate funding in elections or at least run campaigns that don't rely, I mean, it transformed our politics. It gave Bernie Sanders, as many people told me, I think you probably did in our interview too, we wouldn't have had Bernie Sanders, the all popular meteoric take over the airwaves candidate of 2015 in the primaries and 2016. Had Occupy not laid the ground and given us this inequality message, the billionaire class—you think America was ready to hear an old social democratic socialist from Vermont rail against the billionaire class and talk about the obscene corporate greed? It was Occupy that that got people prepared for that, and of course Bernie laid the ground for AOC, and and we're off to a the start of a new generation of politics.
0: But well, look, I I love this book. Why don't I uh, I ask this last question for to everybody? Tell me what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Hmm. Jeez, um, Igberto I, you know? I do it all the time, you uh, know?
2: Do it all the time? I guess, uh, well, something that would be interesting about this was how, how, how to put, you said you liked how the story was put together um, or how the book was put together. Um, I think an interesting part of doing this in terms of the structure is how to tell a story. You know, Occupy told the story, right? the whole thing that Occupy got right just to conclude on that message and that movement issue is it was able to tell an old story. That's been as old as civilization itself, right? Inequality, the Pharaohs, the Kings, the Mesopotamia, you go back to, you want to name your place. It's always been the mass of people under the few elites who got the grain and who've got the gold and who've, you know, aren't distributing it fairly. Right. We all know that, but to make that iconic, uh, Eternal, timeless story, fresh again in the current context to tell a narrative that, that that punctured our otherwise totally, um, um, you know, um, distracted and 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 diluted and everybody's interests are diverse. It actually it grabbed hold. It like took America by the throat and said, "Wait, you're going to listen to us because we're telling you a story that really matters." But and for me to tell this story, which is so kind of complex. I think it took a combination of removing myself a bit to be, try to be objective and like a journalist and an observer, but I also put myself in the book, because, uh, and, and I'm a character in it, because I feel it's important to show people that um, everyday people, myself included, anyone who shows up at something, you just got to show up and participate. That was sort of what got me to occupy. Like if I'd sort of just continued my plans and gone on, gotten on a plane and left, I just wouldn't have been part of this whole movement. And the last decade would have been quite different for me, but like this idea that regular people can do, you know, irregular or or ordinary people can do extraordinary things, I think is a message um, that even this book kind of confirms. Cause I was just a, I was just a, I'm a journalist, but I just showed up and, um, and, and put myself in there. And I hope that the way that I convey and I'm able to tell this story, you know, reaches people. And yes, like you say, for future movements that i hope young people uh, take take this story that is a decade old and they might have only been 10 years old not even you know able to you know comprehend much when occupy was going on but today they are our leader they are our activists there are college students there are young unemployed they're the people who need to mobilize and i do hope they learn from this story from what occupy got wrong and improve on it and from what it did so well, because we need a new we need 2.0 right now.
0: Michael Leviton, a good friend of mine, journalist you, and the so. author of Generation Occupy Reawakening American Democracy. Folks, you've got to get the book. Those of us that want to make a difference, we got to understand how it was done and how we need to go forward and do it. Michael, thank you so kindly for having been on thank politics you, and right
2: for talking. Very good. Keep it going, always.
0: Spend a folks, of- I hope you enjoyed that. Yes, it wasn't that it was infiltrated as much as it was. Uh, this is a bridge MCP. I'm gonna have to take off a little bit early, folks. If you're just if you're just getting here, please go ahead and give us a thumbs up on YouTube and a like on Facebook. We need you so badly to do that now. So please go ahead and do that for me. I need to have. You do that for me. Again, if you're just joining us or if you've joined us before but haven't given us a thumbs up on YouTube, please go ahead and do that. Okay, let me tell you a breach. After Occupy, I joined a couple of other groups like the 99% and all these other groups that were trying to fill that space. And Ultimately, uh, Occupy failed because in certain camps, the municipal governments went in and busted them up, tore them down. In other places... Uh, they kind of fell on their own uh, device, their own miscommunication and all of that. Here in Houston, we had a whole lot of different iterations. We created one that could last here with uh, what we call Occupy Kingwood, a sustainable Occupy. And the one that we formed here, we did it on a weekly basis as opposed to trying to do a full Occupy. But anyhow... um, Let's see if there are any, may, let, let me just salute a few new people that came in. Patrick's Time, welcome aboard. Deb Danny, welcome aboard. Rose William, I think I saluted you. I saw some other new new folks in here. Um, uh, let me see if I can scroll to them. Gene, no, no. let's see. Undefined, I don't know who you are, but thank you for coming here several times. Masticator, welcome aboard. Uh, who else is here? If I didn't call your name and you want to be singled out, go ahead. Jessica Taylor, welcome aboard. Uh, The duck that quacks, I think I got you. I'm just kind of scrolling up. I won't be able to take a look at these guys right now. Real quickly, real quickly, if you're just joining us, please click on that join button. Become a member. Uh, Carl Cox, Occupy didn't fail. Occupy changed. Occupy mutated. That is what we're talking about with with brother Michael Levitin there. Uh, We evolved into a lot of different spaces. And all that you see occurring in the progressive movement today had its genesis in the Occupy movement where it finally gave us the impetus, the wherewithal to go ahead and say again, we can actually get it done. Folks, if you're just joining us, please click that join button to become a part of our PDR posse. We need you. You can go ahead and get our books at politicsandright.com. Books, politicsandright.com. Books, you can become a patron. We need patrons, politicsandright.com. Patron, politicsandright.com slash Patreon, we also look at, uh, let's see, politicsandright.com, slash PayPal, politicsandright.com, slash PayPal to support us, as well as, if you're not on YouTube and you can't click that join button, click on politicsandright.com, slash YouTube, politicsandright.com, slash YouTube. But if you want to know all the different methods in which you can support politicsandright.com, or Politics and Right, go to politicsandright.com slash support. We also have a new link, politicsandright.com slash TV, that you can share to all your friends and say, hey guys, come here at 3 o'clock or any other time, because all his videos, all his uh, shows and everything on is located at that one page. So folks, please go ahead and continue your support for the movement. We just could not do this at all without you. We couldn't do this at all without you. Uh, I can't go through all of these messages fast enough. If somebody, in the next 30 seconds, if you go ahead and put something in there that you must have an answer for, let me know. Otherwise, just drop me an email at info at politicsandright.com, info at politicsandright.com. Let's see. I got to get out of here early today because we have some repair people coming in. So my name is Egberto Willis. I thank you so kindly for being here. You know how I end this baby. I am what?